The History Channel. For centuries, Hawaiians have believed that the fiery eruptions of a sacred volcano are the vengeful acts of their fearsome goddess, Pele. Join us and explore the stormy legacy of a people and their angry god. An unleashed volcano is a force of nature so mysterious, so unpredictable, that scientists can offer few clues to why or when the next onslaught will come. But in the seemingly senseless violence of an unleashed volcano, Hawaiians have found profound meaning. For they believe the volcano is their supreme goddess Pele, who sends her destructive lava to annihilate all those who disobey her. Pele is a goddess of fire. If you mistreat her, she erupts and is angry. If you respect her, then she cares for you and will help you in any situation. She is that great woman that no one can conquer. In 1990, Pele unleashed her most devastating eruption in history from the Kilauea volcano with an awesome fury which destroyed the town of Kalapana on the southeast shore of Hawaii Island. Over 100 homes, churches, schools and parks were erased from the land by a scorching river of lava, proof to the faithful of the wrath of Pele. As the smoke cleared, it revealed that the lava had miraculously spared one house from the devastation, a house that belonged to a devout worshiper of Pele. The fire goddess Pele deserves our respect because you can go to any island in the Hawaiian chain and those are the lands of Pele. She is Wahine Ai Lehua. She is a woman that consumes the Lehua groves of Puna. So when we go there, we are even more reminded of her power and how she can both create and take away. For many in Hawaii, this strange incident was proof of the curse of Pele and her power to protect and destroy. How did the belief in her ancient curse begin? And why does it continue to strike fear into the hearts of Hawaiians today? Like the Hawaiian people, its origin is lost in an ocean of time as vast as the boundless Pacific. Scientists believe that the first settlers of the Hawaiian Islands arrived around the year 350 AD. Just how they discovered the islands remains a mystery. For incredibly, the eight island chain existed in total isolation, over 2,000 miles from the nearest continent and 2,500 miles from the closest inhabited island. The journey of the first settlers would have required extraordinary powers of navigation, a Pacific odyssey that would have been one of the great epics of exploration. 
Scientists believe these early navigators may have actually constructed huge sailing vessels in order to travel the vast distances needed to reach the Hawaiian Islands. Thousands of years before Columbus, these intrepid mariners were crisscrossing the South Pacific in sailing canoes that could attain a length of over 100 feet, as long as Columbus's own ships. These Hawaiian vessels could sustain up to 80 people with food and supplies for voyages of over 2,000 miles. When the earliest settlers finally reached the Hawaiian Islands, they set foot in a pristine world, perhaps as close to paradise as any that has ever been discovered. The Hawaiians soon populated their domain with an extraordinary array of gods and goddesses, deities inhabiting every facet of nature. The first Hawaiians worshipped an enormous galaxy of over 40,000 deities, perhaps more than any other people on earth, and believed themselves to be direct descendants of the major gods. Well, there is a mystical side to Hawaii, a very spiritual side to Hawaii. And you can't miss it. It is there. You can feel it. The gods are there. And for those of us who worship traditional gods, we love them because they're our ancestors. And we know that they're on our side and they will take care of us if we are good to them. We're pantheistic in the sense that we believe, believe that everything in nature is because of a god. And god exists in it. According to Hawaiian legend, the goddess Pele was one of the first deities to inhabit the islands, arriving shortly after the first settlers. She was a jealous and passionate goddess who seemed to reflect the sensuality of the early Hawaiians, a culture which practiced polygamy and in which men and women lived a very promiscuous life. And yet early Hawaiian life was a male-dominated society, guided by a strict moral code with severe taboos to help the Hawaiian people avoid the wrath of Pele and their thousands of vengeful gods. Many taboos harshly restricted the daily lives of women. It was taboo for women to hunt, to eat meals with men, even forbidden for women to cook their own food for fear they would contaminate it. Yet strangely, in this society where women were often dominated by men, the most powerful deity was the goddess Pele. When did Pele first appear in the pantheon of Hawaiian gods? There may have been a cataclysmic eruption shortly after the first Hawaiians set foot on the islands. 
Scientists believe that at the very time the first settlers arrived in Hawaii, Kilauea was at its most active, and thus the goddess established her spiritual hold over the belief of the Hawaiian people. As the Hawaiian population grew, so too did Pele's spell over those who worshipped her. To the faithful, the ultimate act of devotion was to ascend the slopes of the volcano to pay homage to the goddess. By the 14th and 15th centuries, the Hawaiian population on all the islands had expanded into the hundreds of thousands. Ruling over this flourishing society were high chiefs who traced their family lineage back to the ancient gods of the Hawaiian people. And of all the deities, the mightiest and the most revered was Pele. Why then have scholars not found a single statue of Pele from ancient times? How did the Hawaiian people worship her? We worship the gods in the form that they already are in. In the rock, in the fish, in the wind, in the clouds, the mountain. And Pele is real in the lava. We don't need to make a picture of her in the lava, she's there. Spectacular temples were built to honor such other Hawaiian deities as the god of war, but few were ever built to honor Pele. To Pele's worshipers, the ultimate proof of faith was a perilous journey up the 4,000-foot slope of the volcano to its summit, a pilgrimage across this most sacred of land on the islands. The risks of climbing a live volcano are formidable, yet the ancient Hawaiians ignored the ever-present danger of poisonous gases and scorching lava to make their ascent. Some believe the ancient worshippers may have built altars to their goddess on the slopes of the volcano, but today their very existence remains a mystery. For as if to conceal her secrets, Kilauea has buried all such ancient monuments under what some call Pele's blanket, a shroud of lava which has destroyed almost all remnants of the Hawaiian culture. On their journey up the sacred mountain, the faithful found miraculous proof of the magical powers of Pele. For a rare sacred plant, the ohelo berry, grows only on the slopes of the volcano. To this day, its ability to survive the poisonous volcanic environment remains a scientific mystery. To the Hawaiians, the sacred ohelo plant was a sign of Pele's miraculous capacity to create life from destruction.
When at last the worshippers reached the 4,000-foot summit, Pele's smoldering inner sanctum, they would offer the Ohelo berries as proof of their devotion to her. Pele's worshippers considered the fiery crater where the pilgrimage ended to be a magical, forbidden place, the source of all fertility, the source of all creation, the most intimate and secret aspect of the goddess. The volcano itself is the genital of Pele. It is her private part. It is the part that women very rarely ever show to the public. So for any of us who go there to see Pele, we should be respectful of that. When the volcano erupts and lava flows out from her private place, it is said she is giving birth to new land. With each eruption, Pele's lava was expanding the island, a precious gift of new land for her people. To show their gratitude, the Hawaiians glorified Pele in sacred songs and the graceful movements of the human body. These sensual, mystical dances called the hula are the only existing record of ancient Hawaiian life. When performed for Pele at sacred sites, they demonstrated the dancer's reverence for the goddess. Hula expresses everything, you know, that we see, we feel, we hear, we smell, we taste, we touch, and we sense. So that we see Pele and we see her in all her displayed, fiery display, we create images, we create stories. And when you look at how that story is told, and the beauty of the language, and how the language is linked, the natural phenomenon of things in nature. Oh, it's beautiful. Why, when so much of Hawaiian culture has vanished, have these sacred Pele dances survived for over 1,500 years? While Pele received homage through sacred hula dances, another Hawaiian deity, the god of war, demanded more violent tributes through human sacrifices. But because Pele was female and thus a giver of life, it was believed that no life should be sacrificed to honor her. And yet, while human sacrifice to Pele was forbidden, 
it was considered fitting for the hallowed dead to be hurled into her fiery depths. The remains of the departed were wrapped in a shroud and carried up the slopes of the mountain to the mouth of the smoldering volcano. There, one last hula dance was performed to honor Pele, a performance sometimes lasting days. Finally, the shrouded body was hurled into the lava, its soul rejoining the immortal spirit of Pele for eternity, a final blazing affirmation of life. Not only did the Hawaiians believe that Pele controlled them in both life and death, they also believed their goddess shaped the destiny of her people. Once again, O Pele, break forth. Display thy power, my god, to the world. Let thy voice sound out like a drum. Re-utter the law of thy burning back. Ancient Hawaiian chant. By the late 1700s, as if under the benign protection of the goddess Pele herself, the Hawaiian Islands had become a thriving society of nearly 800,000 people, two-thirds of its population in modern times. Had the Hawaiian people's belief in Pele's curse guided them to become one of the world's most prosperous civilizations? Isolated from the outside world, free of European interference, the Hawaiian royal families battled for supremacy over their lush island domain. After seven years of warfare on the big island of Hawaii, by 1790 all power resided in the hands of two mighty chiefs, Keoua and his cousin, Kamehameha. Both rulers claimed the support of the goddess Pele, and the Hawaiian people looked to her sacred volcano for an omen. Which ruler would receive Pele's blessing? At first, it seemed as if Pele had smiled upon Keoua, for while Kamehameha waged war on the neighboring island of Maui, Keoua attacked at home, laying waste to many of the villages loyal to Kamehameha. Certain that so resounding a victory was proof of Pele's approval, Keaua ordered his triumphant warriors to return home, passing beneath the shadow of Pele's volcano. As his soldiers neared the volcano, a terrible earthquake shook the land. Fearful, Keaua prayed to Pele, and the ground went silent, seemingly a sign of Pele's blessing. Then suddenly, the goddess spoke in words of fire. Keoua watched in horror 
as ashes, rocks, and lava rain down upon his doomed soldiers. In seconds, his once mighty warriors were reduced to smoldering statues, monuments to the heat of Pele's wrath. To this day, according to legend, the fiery imprints of the doomed warriors' bodies have all been preserved in the volcanic rock, a lasting warning to all who might underestimate the power of Pele. To historians, this incident is the first evidence that the legend of the curse of Pele might have influenced actual historical figures and events. Once this event occurred, the Ka'u chief of this district here realized that if his own gods, the gods of his land, didn't support him, if Pele wasn't with him, he had no sense in fighting. So he gave up to Kamehameha. To a people who believed that the earth was a living being, the eruption was an omen of divine approval from Pele. And as its beneficiary, Kamehameha had the wisdom to turn the extraordinary event to his benefit. You should know that Kamehameha was not of the very highest chiefs. He was a slightly lesser rank, although he was a very great warrior, he was a very great politician, and he was devout to worshipping the gods. And Pele was one of the gods that he worshipped. Strengthened by the stories of Pele's royal blessing, over the next ten years, Kamehameha set forth on a holy war to conquer all eight Hawaiian islands. In 1801, however, while Kamehameha dominated other chiefs in battle, his ascendancy seemed to be threatened by the goddess Pele herself. For in that year, the sacred volcano sent a deadly lava flow thundering down her mountain consuming villages along the north side of the big island of Hawaii. The local residents pleaded with their chief, Kamehameha, to somehow stop her destructive rampage. It is believed that when Pele is angry and she is erupting, and as her flow comes down towards the sea, the only one who can stop the lava flow is a very high chief, someone who is beloved by Pele. Kamehameha traveled to the deadly lava flow to offer Pele the most sacred gift a man could offer a goddess, a lock of his hair wrapped in a sacred leaf. The next day, as if by divine will, the flow of lava stopped. With the now benign volcano apparent proof of Pele's supreme blessing, Kamehameha was crowned the first monarch of all the Hawaiian Islands in 1810, ruling over a kingdom of nearly one million subjects. And yet, the seeming paradise would soon be placed in jeopardy by an unexpected threat from beyond the horizon.
In the 1700s, after centuries of unquestioned dominance over the island kingdom, the goddess Pele would be threatened as never before. For on January 19, 1778, strange visitors would arrive from beyond the horizon in great ships, which to the islanders must have seemed like vessels of the gods. History would record that the name of the ship's English captain was James Cook, the man who would end Hawaii's thousands of years of magnificent isolation. With their whole universe seemingly endangered by these strange invaders, the islanders were at first uncertain how to respond. Would Pele's curse once again emerge and destroy the English, just as the goddess had killed her enemies in times past? If Pele had erupted, perhaps the Hawaiians would have battled the English to the death. Instead, the volcano remained silent. Scientists would later theorize that in this period the volcano simply entered an inactive phase. But to believers in Pele's curse, her mysterious silence was viewed as a sign of approval. Believing they had received Pele's blessing, the Hawaiian people were drawn to the material temptations the English brought with them. Iron tools, muskets, and massive weapons. How would such temptations change their sacred ways? They start to rethink some of their ideas about the world and the universe and they they do this by inquiring of the Europeans who are your gods what are your traditions what are your beliefs Hawaii offered temptations for the English as well a sensual world without sexual inhibitions Ironically, the unrestrained sexual relations between the English and the Hawaiians would soon be responsible for more deaths than any war in the island's history. By 1820, in just over 40 years, half of the Hawaiian population would perish from venereal disease and other Western illnesses. As they watched their people die by the thousands, the Hawaiians continued to look to Pele for a sign. But the volcano remained silent. The longer their goddess failed to intervene, the more the Hawaiians questioned the existence of her curse. All that was sacred in Hawaiian culture was dying as swiftly and as tragically as the native population. Soon, in 1820, 
another even more serious threat to her power would reach the shores of the Hawaiian Islands. Christian missionaries from the United States seeking to convert the Hawaiians to a belief in their one God. When they came to Hawaii, they denigrated everything Hawaiian. Every Hawaiian custom, whether it was hula or the study of genealogy, certainly the Hawaiian gods, any Hawaiian custom that we had regarding our dress, our food, our houses, our interpersonal relationships, everything was considered bad. To win over the Hawaiians, the missionaries first had to prove their Christian god was more powerful than Pele herself. The fatal blow to the Hawaiian goddess came not from the outsiders, but from a Hawaiian princess who, according to tradition, was a descendant of Pele herself. The Christians tried to outlaw the old gods. And to a certain extent, Hawaiians did convert to Christianity, in particular because the message was, you are dying from these foreign diseases because you do not worship Jehovah. If you pray to Jehovah, you will live. In 1824, when Kapiolani decided to convert to Christianity, she defiantly chose to do it in Pele's inner sanctum, at the edge of her fiery crater. Native Hawaiians begged the princess not to ascend the volcano, fearing Pele would wreak her revenge on the Hawaiian people for so blasphemous an act. But the princess ignored their warnings. There is a famous story of her going to the volcano and picking ohelo berries and eating them and offering none to Pele and despising Pele and saying, you are nothing now. There's a new God in the land. His name is Jehovah. He is the great God. Jehovah is my God. He kindled these fires. I fear not Pele. If I perish in her anger, then you may fear Pele. But if I trust in Jehovah, then you must fear and serve him alone. Princess Kapiolani, 1824 When Pele didn't erupt and kill her immediately, people said, oh, it's a sign that Jehovah has more power than Pele. When Pele failed to punish the princess for her blasphemy, the goddess was gravely weakened in the eyes of her people. Following their princess's bold example, thousands more would convert to Christianity. Church leaders would soon take drastic steps to stifle Hawaiian culture. The ancient Hawaiian language was forbidden, and the hula dances were banned from public display. When the first missionaries arrived from uh, New England into Hawaii, they brought with them their whole outlook on life, and, and that was a very cold, austere view of the world. They viewed hula as being too sexual, too lascivious. They didn't like it because it honored other gods and goddesses. As Hawaiian culture was all but forgotten, some would ask whether an enraged Pele had wreaked her revenge after all. 
by the late 1800s, after the Hawaiian people had turned their back on their goddess, only 40,000 native Hawaiians survived. Nearly 95% of their population had died in under 75 years. And the princess who had dared to risk Pele's curse? By the end of the 19th century, her monarchy was overthrown and Hawaii was annexed to the United States. And yet even now, what some would call the curse of Pele had not yet been laid to rest. For with modern times, there would be a mysterious rebirth of belief in Pele's deadly power. The woman Pele burst forth. She flashed to the heavens on and on. It was awe-inspiring. Awe-inspiring. By the 19th century, reports of the splendor of Hawaii were spreading throughout the world. Visitors journeyed to the islands to view sights long forbidden to foreign eyes. The notorious Pele's curse had become such a fabled Hawaiian myth that visitors would travel for two arduous days just to get a glimpse of the goddess's volcanic domain. One such visitor was the American author Mark Twain, who in 1866 made a pilgrimage up Kilauea Volcano to the holiest site of the goddess. came at last to torn and rugged deserts of scorched and blistered lava to the summit of the mountain. And these tokens warned us that we were nearing the palace of the dread goddess Pele, the creator of Kilauea. Mark Twain, 1866. While some outsiders revered Pele, most viewed her with disdain. As her sacred volcano remained silent, Hawaii fell under the influence of the culture from the American mainland. And yet, stories began to surface that seemed to hint that the power of Pele's ancient curse endured. As tourists visited Pele's sacred volcano, they inadvertently violated an age-old taboo by taking home lava rocks as souvenirs, and some suffered bizarre misfortunes as a result. These tourists mailed the rocks back to Hawaii, begging the park rangers to return them to the slopes of Pele's volcano. By the late 20th century, the intrusions into Pele's domain were far more serious than the theft of rocks from her slopes. Plans were announced to install geothermal wells in the sacred volcano Kilauea itself. The wells would have provided badly needed energy for the population of modern Hawaii. But to believers in Pele's curse, they were an act of desecration, defiling the sacred crater to its core. To many Hawaiians, Pele was being subjected to nothing less than an act of rape. 
That whole mountain is her domain. That's why when they went to put the geothermal wells in, it's very intrusive. Hawaiians were very upset that geothermal wells, which are really a kind of a Western phallic symbol, should be dug into the ground, to the sacred place, to the private place of Pele. Despite the strong objections of native Hawaiians, the geothermal wells were driven into the volcano's sacred crater. Believers in Pele feared that after such a provocation, Pele's curse would wreak a terrible revenge. They did not have long to wait. Only two weeks later, on July 2, 1983, after remaining silent for centuries, Pele's volcano erupted with undreamt of ferocity. For some, it was no mere coincidence that the volcano unleashed its power at this decisive moment. By 1997, 14 years later, the volcano was still erupting, having destroyed over 200 homes and causing over $100 million worth of damage. To those who devoutly believed in her, however, this act of awesome destruction was also an act of creation. She is the goddess that creates the lands that Hawaiians claim as their own. She is the lasting link that reminds us that Ano Hawaii, things Hawaiian, are alive and well. Just as it has created new land, Kilauea's fiery eruption has nourished a rebirth in the ancient beliefs of the Hawaiian people. Since the 1983 eruption began, there has been a startling resurgence in support for a return to the hallowed ancient ways. Numerous hula schools have formed, many of them devoted to recounting the age-old tales of Pele's exploits. As a testament to their devotion, Hula teachers lead their students in a sacred dance to honor Pele at the edge of the volcano itself. We have to pass this on because it's part of our past and it's a part of our present. It will be part of our future if we continue it on. We become very attached and imbalanced with nature. We understand nature and the awesomeness of Pele's domain using Pele. As Kilauea's lava continues its relentless flow to the ocean, creating new land and sparking fervent new belief, the ancient legend has been infused with abundant new life. She dances to the sea. She's alive. For us, Philly's always present. So the stories and traditions that have 
been passed on to us uh, remain alive because you can't remove her. She's always present. To geologists, the continuing eruption of Pele's volcano offers a chance to probe the mysteries of volcanic behavior using cutting-edge technology. But will scientists ever fully penetrate the riddles of Pele's volcano? For some, the mysteries here are too deep, too sacred to ever surrender all their secrets. The power of Kilauea continues to baffle scientists and inspire awe among Pele's worshippers. An urgent warning to all, perhaps, that nature, not mankind, is the creator and destroyer of all life and must be respected for her power. It's a warning that we ignore only at our peril a warning that haunts us on our journey in search of history.